in our in our study and, and we're really uh just for the record we're accomplishing more than pastor sam who's only able to get one verse done this week <laughs> today i will get three verses well eight nine ten four verses done today um so oh handouts are there any more yeah they're over there in the- uh yeah so and uh so we're gonna get four verses done and i really do i, I think i shared with you all this before that Part of the logic when when I teach is I try to do complete thoughts. And if you look at First Timothy uh, chapter one, uh, let me get to scripture. First Timothy chapter one. You know the first couple verses uh, are a thought, and then uh, it goes down to verse four as ends in a period, and verse uh, seven ends in a period. And today we're going to pick it up in verse. Uh, verse 8 and go through 11 but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous man but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and for sinners for the uh, for unholy and profane for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers for manslayers for whoremongers for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And then there's a semicolon. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, period. And we won't always just do kind of one sentence, but this was a good chunk that was really a complete thought, and so that's what I wanted to uh, to spend time uh, on today. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to get in your word. We thank you for the depth of it. We thank you for uh, the application that can go many different directions. It's not interpretation, it's application. And and we do, I just ask, Lord, that what you've put in my heart uh, to teach today, that it would come across clearly, uh, effectively, but more importantly, that you would do the work of teaching. And even if there's uh, a thought that's triggered, uh, that, that you're, you're burdening on someone that's, that's tangential to the things that I say, uh, you know, praise the Lord. We, we thank you for, for being the one that teaches. And uh, Lord, we, we trust that you will do the work. You know, we've, we've come prepared. We've come prepared to teach. We've come prepared to learn. But help us to stay on task. Help us to stay focused. And help us most of all to have soft, fallow ground that the word of God can find seat in and, and can actually grow and change us in, in our lives. And uh, we do this and we do it to your honor and to your glory. Amen. And so, uh, you know, the first verse here or this, this, uh, this passage, it says at the beginning of it, we know that the law is good, but we know that the law is good. And, and if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous, it's made for, and then uh, quite a list. And, and it's, it's interesting because when I first looked at this, I actually thought that it was possible that this was, this is referring to like law like police like the law of the land but i want to i want to spend a few moments making sure that we're on the same page with respect to that and so uh it's i said which law which law because look at john 18 verse 31 then pilate said unto them take ye him and judge him according to your law Right, so there's the law of the Jews, the law of the Lord, you know, the Old Testament law. The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death, which is kind of an interesting statement in and of itself because it is lawful uh, to put 
put people to death. I think there's more to it just to put any man to death, right? But in 1 Corinthians 6, 7, now therefore, uh, now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. So you have, have issues, and so you have to settle them before the judge. You have to sue each other, and, and that's not right. So, so we do know that, that ordinances, that authority, that there is, um, you know, human government is something that the Lord has ordained. But in this context, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, he, I do believe he's specifically referring to, if you will, the Old Testament law. And that's probably the, the moniker that I'll use today mostly, the Old Testament law, because if it stopped with knowing this, that the law is, is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, you could say, okay, maybe that has to do with the law of the land, human government. And and certainly you could you could say, you know, for murderers and manslayers, but for simply ungodly and sinners, well, our law doesn't, I mean, there's there's nothing in our books that I know of that, that just says it's illegal to sin. Right now, you could make an argument that our law is based in a Christian Judeo uh, or a Judeo-Christian kind of basis, and therefore lying would be something that would be against the law. If you make a false report to a police officer, that's a sin, and it's also illegal. But generally speaking, these concepts are spiritual in nature, and we're actually going to spend some time going over each of those, not a lot of time, but just kind of hitting them in in rapid-fire succession. So it's important to know the context, right? That this, that the law is good. The law of God is good, okay? Now, it was interesting because this morning, um, Sam even put up Psalm 19 and verse 7 that I didn't include, and I love when the Lord shows up like that. That's not on your on your page. If you want to write Psalm 19:7, the law of the Lord is perfect. So we know that the law is, Psalm 19, verse 7, perfect. We know that according to Psalm 119, the law is perfect the truth, right? Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law, God's law, is the truth. It's a light, according to Proverbs 6.23, for the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. Not just a light, but it is light. And reproofs of instruction are are the way of life. It's holy, Romans 7.12, wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, just, and good. It's spiritual, even though we we like to call it really physical. Romans 7.14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. sin. So, you know, again, with the addition of it being perfect, out of Psalm 19, verse 7, truth, light, holy, spiritual, these are things, these are positive uh, descriptions of the law. Prior to this week, if somebody would have said to me, is the law good? I would have been like, well, I probably would have thought, well, yeah, I mean, it's good, but it's kind of not good. Like, we don't want to put ourselves under the law. It's kind of, it's good, but it was good at a different time. Well, it's more than that. The law is, in fact, perfect. The law is, in fact, truth. It is light. It is holy. And it is spiritual. And I am not about, I mean, most of you, most of you I, I've known long enough, you know I'm not coming at this with a weird angle. Like, this is not, I'm not trying to bring the law back into play, 
right? We even we'll see that in just a few moments. But the the verses even before this, Timothy is charged to be be careful of people who are trying to be teachers of the law, right? So that's not the angle. That's not the uh, the approach that I'm taking today. But I think part of the problem that we look at the law is we look at it as if it's a quote bad thing, and it's not. It's simply not. And it can be according to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. We know that the law is good. Look at this. If a man use it lawfully. This is Paul talking to Timothy. This is a church dispensation. This is not, there's no, there's no question about the context here. He's saying the law of God can be used correctly. It can be used right or it can be rightly or it can be used wrongly. As soon as it advances here, maybe. So it can be used <coughs> rightly or wrongly. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Now, again, that's really more it has to do with the practicalness of the rules of engagement. And we're going to, we're going to, I hate to call it play a game here, but we're going to have a competition here in a few minutes. And there will be rules. There will be laws associated with that. If, if the, um, if the, you know, the Olympics are, are I think the 2020 Olympics are going to happen this summer in 2021. Makes sense, right? The 2020 Olympics happening in 2021. <laughs> so, or marathons. I, I, you know, I remember the, the dude, there was a marathon runner who like cut through like a, a store or something and cut a bunch of time off of the, like, it's wrong when you break the rules, right? It's wrong and you'll be disqualified. And according to Second Timothy, we know that, that you, you're not crowned, you don't win the prize unless you do it according to the rules, right? But there's also in Galatians 3, 24 and 25, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after the faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So, so I understand that when faith comes, we're no longer under a schoolmaster, but the schoolmaster, what does a schoolmaster do? Even that sheer nature of that name implies that they rule, that they create rules that they create boundaries in our life we don't just throw a calculus book at a kid and say learn right i mean we have to create infrastructure we have to create uh, environments for growth we have to create environments for learning and that's those often often that comes with rules and i i know there's some schools and some school districts and some school uh, models that have very few rules and very few quote laws and arguably some of those kids do well but they still have some i guarantee you they still have some <coughs> like you cannot walk over to somebody with a pencil and jab them in the eye like i'm pretty sure that's not okay maybe it is but i don't think so so a schoolmaster what does a schoolmaster do? It creates an environment, usually a he, but often a she in, 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 in these time frames. But the schoolmaster would create an environment with boundaries, with guardrails, with protections so that learning could occur. That's what the law does. It's 
creating an environment to show contrast. It's creating an environment to show the holy versus unholy. Okay? And so I think it's, it's, it's just interesting. Also, if you look at uh, Matthew 5.17, not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, Christ said. He literally didn't come to step on the law. He came to fulfill the law. And the law in and of itself said that no man was good enough, right? No one, you know, everyone needed to offer a sacrifice. Everyone had to have an atonement for their sins. That was the nature of the law. What was manifest through, especially through the religious structure that was happening toward the time of Christ was they had gotten away from the intent of some of those things, right? So you weren't supposed to sow seed. You weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath day. So you couldn't walk in through, through a field where grass had grown up or wheat had grown up because by stepping, you're going to knock some seeds off of the, 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 the deal and therefore you're planting. Well, okay, that's clearly not what God meant. Right, And so man tends to layer on, and Christ is not is saying, look, I'm not come to destroy the law. Now, he does make a couple of points sometimes to say, y'all have gotten off base, but I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And that's pretty, that's pretty important. That's pretty important. So when we go back and we look at all of the folks, right? And this is in your, this is, so I hope you can, you can see this. And we're going to spend just a few minutes here. You've got a few uh, a few underlines or blanks, and I don't remember exactly what they are, but the lawless. Let's look at the lawless for just a moment. The first one that's mentioned. The lawless are anarchists, right? And we have seen, even recently, over the last year, we have seen what the lack of law will do in an environment, right? We saw it a few weeks ago at the Capitol. We saw it... I'll say a few months ago with the, was it Chaz? Was that the, was that the region that was no, you know, no law? Well, the reality was infrastructure breaks down the strong control, right? Those that force will control. And it's not just, it's not the John Lennon, you know, song of dreaming of someday that there won't be these oppressions, that there won't be bad people in leadership and we won't need presidents and I'm dreaming about this day. That, that's not, that's different. That's, that's quite honestly a very naive and a very uninformed approach. This that he's talking about are not people that don't want to be under the law. These are people that want to, to be the law themselves. It's kind of like what Sam talked about today. We've got to create a system that I like when I don't like the system that exists, okay? So the lawless are really anarchists, the disobedient, those who choose to rebel, the disobedient. You know, it's, it doesn't, you know, if you're a parent, it doesn't take you long to know, to generally perceive when a kid is, has like childhood error, you know, the, the, the error versus disobedience. And the, the lesson that I remember on this, I learned from a guy many years ago, and a child that you hand them a glass of milk and in their, their youth clumsiness doesn't grab it correctly and spills the milk 
is not disobedience. You shouldn't like overreact to that. Like you should, you know, you should clean it up and you should teach them to be careful and this is how we need to hold a glass or maybe you need to use two hands or you need to focus a little more on what you're doing, whatever the case is, it depends on their age. You don't, you don't chastise a kid for being a kid and needing to learn those things. Some 49-year-old spilled his tea this morning. <laughs> Nobody, like, yelled at me, and I didn't get in an argument and say, well, the lid didn't fit right, right? I mean, that's like, that, just because I was like the Hulk and squeezed the tea too hard, like, that's one thing. That's different than disobedience. Take the same scenario. I'm handing the kid the glass of milk, and they, bam, no. Right? I mean, I, obviously I made it a little worse than it maybe it is a lot of times. That's disobedience. It's clearly a different situation. And the vast majority of the time we can perceive the difference between growth, immaturity, and disobedience. And what's the biggest thing, the, the difference between growth and disobedience? Knowledge. The understanding of the expectation. Right? The understanding of the expectation. The kid that's not careful with the glass of milk may not understand what the consequences are of not holding it correctly or holding it strongly enough. Right? The disobedient, on the other hand, knows and they're choosing to rebel. The ungodly, those who are not like God. I know it's like ungodly, right? <laughs> those who don't strive to try to conform themselves into the image of Christ. They don't try to transform themselves. So again, this is who the law is written for. Okay? This is who the law is written for. Sinners, those who enjoy sin. Now, obviously, you could say, well, we're all sin sinners, and we don't all enjoy sin. I would argue we've all enjoyed some sin at some point. Depends on the nature of the sin, right? It could be something very proactive. It could be something like lazy or gluttony or any number of things. But those who enjoy sin, unholy, those who defile, right? When you think of something being holy and then something being unholy, it's because it's been defiled, right? Profane, those who project their sin on others. These are just kind of my, kind of my take and, you know, a little bit of research. These are not like dogmatic definitions, but profane. So now profanity is something that comes out of your mouth and is projected onto someone else, right? Yeah. So the profane is not just an internal concept. Profane is an outward manifestation of that, right? Murders of fathers and murders of mothers. I thought it was really interesting that both of those were listed, listed the way they were listed. And the conclusion that I have come to is that there is a, a, a desire to break down both the authority of the home or the, and the nurture of the home. And obviously both of those would be under the structure of breaking down the structure of the home. But this the murder of fathers, they want to remove the authority from the home. Murders of mothers want to remove the nurture or the, the natural tendency of a mother to, to raise, to grow children. And I think there's, there's a reason that the law addresses that and wants to protect the home. Manslayers, those who kill, right? Now, there's manslaughter, right, which is a legal term for your actions led to someone's death. And that's different than murderers. 
Um, obviously, we, we don't need to spend a bunch of time on that, but the, there is a, a fundamental difference. Those who, who kill and maybe have, I'll say, disregard for life, and I didn't put that down, but maybe that disregard for life. Whoremongers, those who buy what is meant to be the intimacy, the picture of the intimacy of Christ. Literally, they take the beauty that God has created and they twist it. And people do that all the time. They do that with, they do that with chemicals. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the, you know, Sam was talking about a shirt. You're, you know, what two rules? You're, I, I know that I know there's a God and you're not it or something like that or you're not him. Um, you know, there have been people that, and I lost my train of thought. So, yes, like God wanted us to enjoy alcohol; otherwise, He wouldn't have made it to to be invented. Well not according to proverbs you know not according to a lot of places and i'm not i'm not sit like i'm not trying to draw some line in the sand but it was meant for those without hope according to scripture it was meant as a way to sedate it was meant as a way to provide release from the existence that someone was experiencing and that was for when people were dying <laughs> so Obviously, the other examples in the New Testament are around, you know, the fact that alcohol would kill chemicals and bacteria in it, so it became a safe thing to drink. So at its core, you know, it's, 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 it, it, it is a killer. And I guess my point here is when people want to take something that God has made and twist it into an environment that they want to use to justify their drunkenness— they want to use to justify their their position. Well, they've twisted the thing that God meant for for you know for one thing and have, have applied it to something else. And whoremongers, I mean, God set the rules of around intimacy. God set the rules around sexual uh, you know physical intimacy, and we don't get the right to change those rules. The law was meant to stop that, right, or to address that. Men stealers. Those who, um, or I'm sorry, those that defile themselves with mankind, who literally twist the creation against the creator. They literally twist it. Those who possess living souls as men stealers, they undermine the intention of God's plan. So God wanted to do a great work in someone, but they got them and they took them and they sold them into slavery, which was not the intention. Can God still work through that? Of course he can. But it wasn't the intention of his plan. Liars, those who misrepresent the truth, pretty straightforward. Perjured persons, those who lie under oath, they double down on their lie. Now they do it to either make gain in a, in a court of law. Yes, I, I, you know, I, no, I never said I would sold, sell it for that much. Or the, we agreed that it would be this value, right? They're, they're purging, perjuring themselves. Um, anything contrary to sound doctrine because the, the law created guide rails. I mean, this is quite a list, and there are other lists in Scripture, right? That that we could we could contrast this to, and I kind of started to go down that path. But at the end of the day, what I found was that the law was set to set these guardrails to say every one of us in here needs atonement. Every one of us fits into some aspect of this at some point in our life. We are a sinner, right, by nature, okay? So the law is a pretty serious 
I'm a, it's always touchy here, so. Or not touchy. You want me to go? Okay. Yeah. Oh, not now. So the law, <laughs> maybe in the future. Uh, the law is serious business. You transgress in just one part, and now you're a lawbreaker. Now, so here's the deal. I don't want to, like, you guys might be surprised by this, but I've gotten a speeding ticket or two. It's happened. It's happened. Even when I was 17, I think I got a careless and heedless or something like that. I think that, if that's the right term, you know, ticket. I am not perfect, but I am not viewed as a lawbreaker today. Like, if I were to get pulled over, they probably, I would assume, they could see my traffic ticket history. And in general, for a 49-year-old guy, I've got some blemishes on my record, but I've not gotten a ticket, you know, even every few years. I don't know how many, three or four tickets in my my life? Yeah, we don't know. So my point is, it's not it's not pervasive, right? So I'll probably, you know, get off with a, with a warning every now and again. I did when I was in college. I got pulled over. I was on my way to a costume party. I will never forget. I was on my way to a costume party, and I got pulled over. And the cop's like, what's going on here? Uh, so lesson, if you come to our murder mystery in a few weeks, don't get pulled over if you're dressed up. Um, my point is... I'm generally seen as a law-abiding citizen. My few tickets have not made me a violator of the whole law in, in civil law, right? I mean, I paid my dues. I paid my ticket. I got it. I dealt with it. And it's, for all intents and purposes, done. That's not the way it is with God. If you were any one of those things at any point in time in your life, hint, hint, we all were and are, then you are a violator of his law. And that's serious business. According to James 2, for whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You don't really see these concepts in the Old Testament because people were, they, it was real blocking and tackling. It was like, oh, I did this. I got to get, take two turtle doves. Oh, I did this. I got to take a lamb. Oh, I did, you know, it's real tactical, real, um, or um, uh, te uh, technical, if you will. Okay. But James and other references in the New Testament from John and, and, and uh, Paul in particular point the picture that if you messed up at all, you are a violator of the law. In 1 John uh, 3, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth, transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgressor of the transgression of the law. In Romans 3, three verses, 10, 12, and 23, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are all, or they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And in verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You are a law transgressor. Even though we don't live under the law today, because we live under grace, prior to you being saved, you were a violator of the law. You violated the whole thing because you violated one part. And the result is very interesting, but the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable um, murderers, uh, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's literally the result of violating God's law. And we were there. And I am willing to bet 
idolaters and liars gets everybody in this room at some point. Got, got us at some point. We've told some sort of lie or we've worshipped something other than God for some, I'll call it season. I don't know if it's instant or moment or season or time, but we've all violated the law. Okay? And as a result, that's what we deserve. Okay? So, I've got this competition. So I'm going to need help. I, I need... I need two volunteers. Two volunteers. Somebody, come on. Anybody can do this. If you can walk up front, you can do this. Nobody? I don't jump. Huh? I don't jump. Oh, there's no jumping. Okay, here's it. Even the, the lady who's pregnant can do this. Okay. So I need a something to act as a line. Mm. Hmm. Fold up a chair? Yeah, we'll we'll lay a chair down. That's a good idea. Oh, you know what? Here, we've got a we've got a line. It's called a cord. Sword. Okay. So that's our line. You can't so you have to get on this side of me. Oh, okay. All right. So the goal is to stand behind the line and to throw I put bean bag, but I you you need to watch out. <laughs> okay. So you've got three balls from which to choose. <laughs> and heck, I'll even give you all three. Wait, let me make that. Okay, so the goal is, and again, I was supposed to bring bring, be, bring bean bags, but I forgot them. So we're going to use these balls. And you can lean over the line as far as you want. You just have to stand on that side of the line. And the goal. Huh? Well, they were bean bags, so in theory, one could land here, and that yeah, wouldn't count. Okay? So the goal was to get one of those balls in here in this trash can, okay? If you do, you win, okay? There is no prize. <laughs> <laughs> Other than if you want to go back and grab a, a Pop-Tart thing to go, okay? Now, I'm the final authority on all questions of any other rules, just in case there is some debate. Can you bounce it off the ceiling? Can you bounce it off the floor in? Uh, can you pass it to someone else that helps you? Like, I'm going to make the rule. Like, I couldn't come up with, good job, good job, Charlie. I couldn't come up with all of the rules, all the things that I thought you would do. So I'm going to be the final judge on whether what you do is okay or not. Okay? So, go ahead, one at a time. Take one of the balls. Okay, you can go first. Yep. And the goal is to get it in. And you know what? Would you like me to lean? I'll even lean it. No? Do you need me to ask questions? You're welcome to ask questions. I wasn't going to ask any. No, just, yeah. The goal is just to get in. <laughs> Do you want me to hold it this Normally way? Normally, I'm a question, a questioner. Oh, that was really close. Why don't you give the others a try, too? Oh, you are dialing it in. There it is. Uh -huh. So close. So close. All right. So, we'll let Christy have a chance. You can have a seat if you'd like. Okay. Nice, nice, nice try. Thank you. You are the first loser. <laughs> so, so okay. Is that Can I move the lineup? No. Okay. Oh. 
Yeah, it's all good. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> okay. Can I throw Almost it to had, you and oh. then let you throw it in? Can what? Can I throw it to you no. and then let you put it no. on? <laughs> oh! And I didn't if even If it rolls it. back to me, can I try again? Sure. <laughs> A little harder. Yay! Yay. There we go. Oh, oh, very close. Okay. Did she win? Yeah. No, I'm, I wasn't very clear on the rules. The trash can was actually the one in the lobby of the church that you needed to get in. Oh. Okay? And that, you guys can come back and sit back down if you want to. That is the illustration of how hard it is to meet the law. You can't do it. You can't do it. No matter how hard they took those little bowls, they couldn't throw it through this wall, they couldn't throw it through this, the brick wall, they couldn't throw it through multiple. There was no chance the ball was going to land, I mean zero chance, the ball was going to land in the trash can in the lobby. None. They could get a can in here, still wouldn't get it done. That literally is the law. It was designed to show our failure. This game was designed to show the failure. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't meet it. And so as a result, I'm trying to get my, uh, it's looking for me. Okay. So, oh, there we go. All right. So this brings us to our first discipleship point for the day. Discipleship decision. Will you respect the law by using it wisely? Will you respect the law by using it wisely? Because by its definition, it points to our insufficiency. That's why legalism doesn't make sense in a church. Because the legalism is simply usually one guy's position, the, the pastor's position on what is or is not okay. They have become the, now the rule. That's what was happening with the Pharisees and Sadducees is they knew no one could meet the law. Therefore, they had to make these accommodations and changes. They had to become the authority on the game so that it was possible to meet the law. But that was never the point. The point was always to show insufficiency. <coughs> so how are you going to address things like tithing, like in the Old Testament, or divorce and remarriage, or men wearing that which pertains to a woman? All, all the ladies in here are wearing pants. You're wearing manly clothes. Well, not they didn't have pants back then. And all the Irish guys are in sin because they're wearing a kilt. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? Because now I have to change the rules to fit my society. Wearing mixed clothing materials. I don't know if that's always the weird one in the Old Testament. You couldn't wear two fabrics interwoven. It's like, hmm? You know, don't go to the seafood or pork portion of the buffet today, right? So, so literally, the law was designed to show insufficiency. And that's why, why Jesus said... Hey, I've come to fulfill it. I don't come to do away with it. In Christ, we now meet the requirements of the law. And that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So as we continue, the law is literally the gospel's forerunner. It's the forerunner to the gospel. Without the law, arguably, 
there's no need for a gospel. There's no need for a savior because no one's violated any rules, right? No one's violated the, the relationship with, with Christ. So when we go back to our passage, 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, we, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Accor- and then it jumped all the way to verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The law is used according to the gospel. It is literally pointing to, to a savior. It's pointing to a sacrifice that's sufficient. <laughs> Romans 2 verse 16 says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, how? By Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Romans 6 uh, or 16 verse 25 now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel so it's Christ's power to establish you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation and the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. 2 Timothy 2.8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So literally Christ is the only way to do it, only way to get through the insufficiency that we have in this game of life where we have to meet the requirements of law. But notice what's amazing is each of these are according to my gospel, right? Power to establish you according to my gospel. Remember that Jesus Christ in the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Paul is not claiming his gospel is, quote, unique. It's only Paul's. It's that he owns it. It's become the driving force in his ministry that he knows everyone is a lawbreaker and it's only the gospel. It's only the gospel that's going to get us anywhere. And he, he calls it his own. He calls it his own. And then the gospel is committed to Paul. So this is, this is the same concept just played on. It's committed or entrusted. According to 1 Corinthians 9, 17, for, uh, for if I do this, willing, this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I, uh, a dispensational, dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. In Titus 1, 3, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So literally, Paul realizes because he has received the gospel, he owns it, if you will. He kind of that personal ownership concept of the gospel. He now knows that he has to go. He is compelled to tell others to pull them out, not from the law, but to pull them out of the result of their sin within the law. And he commands this then to go to Timothy. He commits it to others. Literally, this is, we talk about discipleship, verse down here at the bottom, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also, right? Key verse in our discipleship. No doubt about it. But literally what Paul has received, what has been entrusted to Paul in the form of an out from the law, in the gospel has been committed and trusted to him and now he wants to give it to people who then can also tell others. 1 Timothy 6 20. 
O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. 2 Corinthians 5.18 And it given, excuse me, given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Timothy 1.14 That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. It, he, this is not a passive. This is not, hey, that thing, that talent that you got, that, that, that way about you, Timothy, your style, your mannerisms, how, how you teach or how you minister. That's not what he's talking about. The thing, the out from the law, the gospel itself is what has been committed to Paul. Paul has committed it to Timothy, and he wants Timothy to commit it to others. Certainly, certainly important. Brings us to our second discipleship. To Will you keep that which is committed to you? And in the irony, give it away. Literally, the way you keep that which is committed to you is reproducing it. And I love it when God comes through with a great paradigm like this, with a great, just this really cool twist that literally, <laughs> in order to save your life, you have to give it away. And it's the exact same thing. In order to keep the gospel that's been committed to you, you have to share it. You have to give it away. And so that brings us to our last verse. 1 Corinthians 4, 1, two, 1 and 2. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So these are literally mysteries. A lot of people don't get this. This is a mystery that in order to get something or I'm sorry, in order to keep something, you have to give it away. That Christ was manifest in the flesh, that's a mystery, right? Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man or a woman be found faithful. Be found faithful. You can be faithful like by doing stuff, but according to this, he's saying the way to be faithful is to re reproduce yourself. That is literally the re the 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 uh, the litmus tests of faithfulness here within the context of the gospel. So the law was always meant to point to an insufficiency. And no matter how good our ladies did at throwing the balls and how close they were and bounced off and so close and maybe if they moved just a little closer or had a second try with each of the balls, maybe they would get somewhere but not the where. <laughs> not the place where God called them to. There was literally no chance of winning. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the day. We thank you for the depth of your word. We thank you for the fact that the law really is our schoolmaster. It points us to the fact. It creates the environment so that we know we need a savior. And um, Lord, I, I would like to have thought, uh, think that if I would have been in that time that I would have realized that. I don't know. But, Lord, I'm so thankful for the Word of God, the complete Word of God, the Holy Spirit that teaches it to us so that we can see that today, especially as even as Sam said, see it in hindsight and see it clearly. So we thank you for it. We ask that you help us keep that which you've committed unto us by giving it away, literally sharing our faith and sharing the gospel. We love you. We ask that you be with us as we uh, depart from here. Help us to be good ministers of your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. So don't forget to swing over to the lobby if you have a few moments and write a card for Mark Trotter. I, I know they'll be appreciated by the church and by his, uh, his family. <laughs>